Thank you, Grant. Invite you open the Bible to Acts, the sixth chapter tonight. We are in our tenth lesson in our study of Acts, and I am glad to be able to move into some new ground tonight. Acts chapter six. I've entitled the lesson "Living Beyond Myself or Ourselves." Is what we're going to talk about. That is the theme. I have I have an absolutely <coughs> ridiculous story that I want to share, kind of lead into the lesson, but it makes a point, and so we'll use it tonight. In the land of once upon a time, there was a football game being held between the little animals and the big animals. And it was a, it was a lopsided match. Uh, size, speed, strength, and all that. You can imagine the little animals were just getting beat up. In fact, at the end of the first half, it was 84 to 0. And, um, you know, it was pretty rough. But after the first half, they went out into the field, and um, the little animals kicked off to the big animals, and the monkey caught it and tried to run it back, was tackled on the 10-yard line, pretty good stop. The first play of the, the second half, um, they handed it off to the pig, the big animals to a pig to run up the middle. Uh, he didn't get very far, but he didn't even have the ball because the quarterback was sacked. And so they tried it again, and this time the quarterback was sacked again. The third play, they tried to pass the ball to a zebra, uh, which had been quite successful the first half, but this time didn't make the pass. Uh, again, the quarterback was sacked. And so the little animals are just jumping up and down, really excited and shouting as loud as they can. And they come off the field, and, of course, the coach happened to be a little gopher, uh, the coach was really pleased and really excited, and he shouted out, you know, good job and all that. And uh, so when they got to the sideline, he asked, uh, who, who, who was it that uh, tackled the monkey? And Mr. Centipede said, I did. And he said, who, who was it that, that uh, tackled the quarterback all those times? And the centipede, centipede said, I did, coach. He was really excited about all that. And uh, he said, well, where were you the first half? He says, I was putting on my shoes. <laughs> I told you it was a ridiculous story. But I bring it up for this reason. Might we too spend too much time in the locker room putting on our shoes, taping up our ankles, when the Lord's team needs us on the field? That's the lesson title tonight. I've as I said, living beyond myself, I want to encourage you, uh, that's my aim, to encourage you, encourage one another, to love and to accept the high calling that God has placed upon us. And certainly, the focus of the lesson tonight is in the area of servanthood. Uh, we are called to be servants in the likeness of Christ. So, I ask the question for thought. What is Christianity all about? Now, there are a lot of answers that if we just threw that out to the, to the group tonight, there's a lot of answers. There would be good answers. There would be productive answers. There would be probably very biblical answers in a lot of ways, uh, maybe in all ways. Um, but if we answer the question simply on the basis of what we see in a lot of churches, uh, we might conclude there are several objectives of what Christianity is all about, and, and maybe there's more to the answer to that question than we might first think. Here are some of the popular ideas uh, when you ask that question. To develop informative programs. Um, 
in informational programs, you know, good Bible teaching kinds of programs, um, we, we would answer, ask, ask that question, we might say, well, it's to have interesting classes. You know, good, that's a good thing. To have, you know, a lot of things going on for the youth, lock-ins and summer camps, youth camps, uh, good things. Um, someone might say, well, what's the church all about? Well, they would say, well, it's to contend for the faith. And if you're with me tonight, you'd know that those are things that are involved, really, for the most part, and a lot of other things we could say of what Christianity is about, but that's not really, really, when you think about it, what it's really all about. So what is Christianity about? I'm going to suggest to you that it's about following Jesus and serving in the likeness of Jesus. He came not to be served. He's very clear about that. Matthew 20, verse 28, very clear. I did not come to be served. But I've come to serve. And also, he came to give. He came to give my life as a sacrifice. And so, uh, that's really all summed up in what it means to be a servant. In Philippians 2, he humbled himself. Humbled himself. Take on, the, take on that servanthood. He had that attitude that was so special that, that he wants us to have. An attitude of trying to help others. I, I would say, in answer to the question myself, Christianity is about following Jesus the way Jesus was meant to be followed. And the way he was meant to be followed is serving in the likeness of Jesus, demonstrating the love and the compassion, making right judgments based on what is right, according to the Scripture, um, glorifying God, in, as was mentioned in the prayer tonight, in all that we do. Jesus didn't pay blood to redeem us so that we could live in the locker room. Bible says Jesus came to serve. We know that. He took on the very nature of a servant. We live in a society, we all know this, that has turned away from serving for the most part. It's hard to go into a store these days and actually get someone to check you out. We, we see machi machines. We put our money in. And we may get our money back. We may get our change. If not, we start looking for somebody that we can actually talk to. We're becoming a less and less servant-minded society. We have turned inward to serve self rather than turning loose to serve God. Certainly, that can affect the church as well to serve others. And Satan has helped us in all that. He has helped us to turn things around in a not a good way. He, he did that in the first century. It's not something new. This is something that he was doing long before Christ came on this earth. But we see that, and we find ourselves in a test tonight that reminds us that he was at work in the early church. There are many works of service in the Lord's team. We have different gifts, different talents, different abilities. But we're all called to do ministry. Okay. The question, how may I serve you in the name of the Lord, is often replaced with how I may gain and attain at the expense of someone else or you. We live in a world full of selfishness. No surprise. We have to battle it ourselves. The works that we are called to do as a church are not just the preacher's job or the elder's job or those who hold the title deacon. The Greek and Hebrew words used for servant in the New Testament or in the way which is used even in the Septuagint version of the 
Hebrew text, the Aramaic text, translated over to the Greek text. Either one of the words, the Greek word or the Hebrew word for servant, means to serve. It means to work. It means to minister. It's not hard to understand the concept. Maybe hard to do it. When the word minister is used as a verb, it always means to attend to the needs of someone else. Someone asks, "Well, how do you want your um, how do you want your name in the in the flyer?" Minister is not a bad way to do it. We're all ministers. We're all to be servants. And I would say it is a privilege and, of course, a responsibility of all of us to work together in the church. It is a privilege. And it is a responsibility that we have. But you open the Bibles. I think you've already done that to Acts chapter 6. That's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. The first seven verses primarily tonight is our passage. And I hope you'll leave here understanding something. I hope that we'll be able to help others. Because I know there are people that don't understand what we're looking at tonight. I know that. I, I know there was a time where I didn't understand it. And some of the things I'm going to share tonight, I haven't always understood it, even as a preacher. I believe in the latter years of my ministry, it's become more clear to me of what I'm going to share in some ways tonight. And at the end of everything tonight, I hope you'll leave here, above all else, understanding that we're servants. And of course, you came here tonight understanding that we are servants. But I hope you all understand that we're to be working together and no divisions among us. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained. They complained against the Aramaic or the Hebrew-speaking uh, <clears throat> Jews. And there was a complaint. There was a complaining going on because they saw what was not right. And they complained about it. And the complaint was because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the apostles, gathered together the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. I don't know what you think of when you see the term or the phrase wait on tables. But it's more than you might think. It's more than some people think involved here according to this test. And I have not always seen that. But he, they say that it would not be right for us to neglect our ministry uh, to wait on tables. I say that because I've known people, let's say as we look at this passage as maybe the first and it's called to be deacons. And uh, I've, I've known individuals in the church that are hard workers. They're willing to work. But don't ask them to work with somebody else. Do you know what I'm talking about? I hope, hope you don't, but you probably do, because we live in a real world and we, we, we understand that. I have known people that will work hard. And they will actually say, but don't put me working with so-and-so, or don't put me working with somebody else. I'll do it. And, and there's times for that. There's times that I did things yesterday, and, and you do things that need to be done. And, and we do that. That's okay. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about being able to get beyond ourselves 
and working together as the Lord has called us to work together. So what we have here in the, in the contest is that he, the, the disciples see the problem, they hear the problem, <clears throat> they hear the complaint, and um, they come up with a solution, a plan. And, and we'll see what I'm talking about sake with the waiting on tables in a minute, uh, because that's just not physically serving. There, there's physical service here, but there's more involved, much more. He says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be what? Full of the Spirit. You know, that's important. I mean, we're all to be growing in the Spirit, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. We, we all have been given the gift of the Spirit, but, you know, letting that Holy Spirit live in us and transform us. And, and um, what do we call about, what, what did we get done uh, just not that long ago in a series? The series on the fruit of the Spirit? Think about it that way. Full of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. They're full of the Spirit. And these men are to have wisdom, these individuals whom we choose. Wisdom is ongoing. Sometimes we learn from our mistakes, and hopefully we do. Uh, sometimes we can learn by someone else's mistakes, hopefully we do. But in either case, wisdom is making the application of what we know to do the best that we can with what we know and what we have. And so these are men that are going to be men that have the workings of the Spirit. They have a measure of wisdom. And these are going to be people of prayer. Sometimes when you think about waiting on tables, you don't think about those things, how important those things are. But in this case, it was very, very important because here the Satan is working to the point where the church, this is a vulnerable spot. The church could end up splitting here. This is a serious matter. Now, we're not told that it was an on-purpose thing. I don't think it was. There's no indication that it was. The church is growing and increasing and growing and growing, and, 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 and there's a lot of things needing to be done. I don't see any intentional thing here in the scripture, but the, the fact was they were being overlooked. Somebody dropped the ball. And so they call on this solution. And then verse uh, 6, the, they presented to these, presented these men, they, they, of course the list of the men there, presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them, so the word of God spread. That's not the plan that Satan had for this problem. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. They're, they're just growing in the midst of this serious problem. Then some translations say multiplying, increasing number. And they had experienced, you go back and you just remember what we, what we looked at already, they experienced great growth in chapter 2. The church continued to grow. They met with some challenges uh, certainly, Acts 5, we saw some challenges, but in the midst of the lying that went on and the deception, the church still grew. But somehow, in some way, we're just not told, the Hebrew widows were being taken care of and the Grecian widows were, for the moment at least, being overlooked or neglected. It's a problem. It's a serious problem. They needed help. And the apostles are going to tell them how to handle the problem, and they do. And they um, 
move forward with the solution. And I know <coughs> this test <coughs> is uh, specifically having a little allergy problem tonight. <coughs> Had a little bit of this morning, but uh, it's just allergy. But while there are specific instructions maybe addressing what, what we may often refer to as the first deacons in the church, I think there is application for us in a larger perspective here. Please consider it. Because the bottom line of most of our problems, the problems that come up, the challenges that we face in the church, is as simple as one individual. One individual seeing the problem, saying, I can help with that, and going after and trying to plug that spot, at least making effort. Sometimes it takes more than one, but sometimes it takes one to live beyond themselves. As a church of Christ, we don't want to neglect our widows, our elderly, those in need. We must not neglect our missionaries or those of the outreach. We don't want to neglect our youth or our youth, young families. No, that's, we don't want to do any of that. We don't want to ignore the value of youth camps. They're beneficial. Or retreats for families, men retreats or women's retreats. But we need to remember that we are servants foremost to the glory of God. And we can get sidetracked really easy. And when we look at what's happening here in Acts chapter 6, we must understand that it is a privilege and it is also a responsibility for us to work together in the church. We, not just deacons, not just those who have some, some form of a title, but everyone see the need to step up and live beyond ourselves, be servants of which we have been called to be, working together on the Lord's team. Just some verses that you're familiar with. Let me just read through some of these. In my notes, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all the parts are made of many, they form one body. Verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part, but many. Uh, verse 25 to 27, in the body, its parts should have equal concern for one another. We care about the people we know. We care about the people we don't know. We should make effort to get to know those that we don't know. We should care. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. In the church, of course, God's design, we need preachers, elders, deacons, Individual members doing a part for the benefit of the whole body of Christ. The Grecian Jews present a problem to the leadership. <clears throat> In this case, it was a problem that obviously they agreed with. It was a serious problem. And they come up with a solution and they move forward. Now, by the way, this is, this is just from a practical standpoint. If you see a problem, uh, you know, it's easier, to, it's easier to see problems, by the way, than solve problems. But if you see a problem, there's nothing wrong with presenting it to leadership. I think there's a problem sometimes if we don't do it with kindness and love and submission. In my years of ministry, I've seen some of that presented to leadership, I mean problems. We don't have that here. 
so it's always good to preach on these subjects when you don't have that going on. But I've seen that happen on many occasions, actually. And, and, and we grow from it and we learn from it. But it doesn't change the fact that there's a problem, but let's just, when we see a problem and we need to present it to the leadership, let's do it the right way. Let's do it with kindness and love and submission. We need to be careful how we do it. That's my point for our benefit. And for theirs, by the way, that's Hebrews 13, verse 17. And, and you may have noticed in the English text here, <clears throat> it says the Grecian Jews were complaining. That's my point. There was complaining going on. That's not a good thing. It was a problem, but they were complaining about the problem. That's a bad thing. There was a complaint. And I think that's a pretty strong word, murmuring, some translations would say, against the native Hebrew-speaking Jews. I don't believe the Lord was pleased that there was a problem. He certainly was not pleased that there was murmuring about the problem. But someone needed to call attention to it because they had been overlooked. Serious matter, of course. The Greek word translated complaining or murmuring is, murmuring is never used in a positive way in the Bible. This Greek word is never used in a positive way in the New Testament. Unless, unless, I would say, unless this is an exception, which I don't think it is. The problem may have gone beyond the food distribution. I don't know. I know this, it could have gone beyond that. You know this from your own life, I suspect. A little problem can become a really big problem. Ignore the problem. Just ignore the little problem long enough, and it will grow. It always does. It can be a bigger problem than you want to be in with, but if you ignore the, the problem, wherever it is, it just become a big problem. If you have a leak in the roof, some of you may have had that in times past. And you know, you're going to get around to it, you're going to get around to it, but it's not over your bed. <laughs> Maybe it's in the garage. And that little problem, if you ignore something like that even, it can become a real big, serious problem. The problem comes to the apostles, and they know they have to address it. They need to address it. And they know in this case it's a situation that needs to be solved, and they bring the brethren into the process. That's a good thing. You know, if you ever do present a problem, be, be prepared. I, I would say at least it's a good way to come present a problem. Be prepared to try to be a, a help in a solution to the problem. Always, always beneficial, if you can be. Leadership, as I see it in the book of Acts, and this is my definition, is the ability to handle problems and people. That's my definition. I've seen it. I've seen it be a very practical definition. Leadership in the book of Acts is the ability to handle problems and people. There's nothing greater about the church than people. There's nothing more challenging about the church, right, than people. And, and, and we know that. God loves us all. Leadership is servantship, and leaders who serve have the ability to encourage and motivate, and certainly serve by their own example. The apostles laid out this plan of solution. They said at church, you choose seven men, and they do. And they choose these men who don't just, I don't know if they had, I don't know what their physical strength was, but I know this, their spiritual strength was they were full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, and men of prayer. Those are pretty good qualifications to wait on tables, wouldn't you say? 
sometimes that we, we sometimes sometimes we don't connect the dots there. The book of James tells us that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom will allow us to be careful in the ministry, whatever we're doing. Certainly in this case, it would... <clears throat> Can you see how this problem could have blown up in the church? This is a serious matter, of course. But if you didn't have people that had some wisdom in dealing with the, the equitable distribution of food, people that were fair... <clears throat> caring, it could really, really have been a blow-up situation. So what can we learn from these early leaders? It's possible to spread yourself too thin, isn't it? No, I think I, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to make it. Thank you. I was thinking, though, I might be beyond 24 minutes tonight. But uh, not too much longer. It's possible to spread yourself too thin. Don't you know that? I'm so, I, know, I know it is. I mean, I, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Some of us are doing it now. Perhaps. The apostles face the problem. They take the opportunity to exercise their faith, not only in the Lord, but also the brethren. And, and the leadership understood it was a matter of priorities. And others could do this ministry, and they needed to. So the apostles realized how important this ministry was, and it's vital to their lives, sustain their lives. They needed this food. Sometimes you have to say no to some things. That's, that's something that has been hard for some of us to learn to do. We don't want to get excellent in being able to say no to things. We don't want to become a master at being able to say no. But sometimes we do need to say no. It, it may be just for a short time, but we, we need to say no sometimes because if we spread ourselves too thin, we're not going to be valuable. We're not going to be helpful. But sometimes we need to say no to some other things. It's crowding out what's most important so that we can do what really matters for now and eternity. What we can learn from these widows, uh, excuse me, the wisdom of these early leaders in the church, this is a biggie. You ignore a problem, a little problem in your family, when it's a little problem. And it's going to become a big problem. And I guarantee you this. It's a lot easier to deal with a little problem than a big problem. So deal with little problems the best you can. You can't fix everything. You can't solve everything. But don't, don't wait till it's such a big problem that it's nearly impossible to, to fix. They understood that. I think that's something we can really learn from them. And, and I look at this situation and I think, man, this is a really, really could, be, you know, could have been very, very serious. It, certainly Satan wanted it to become a very serious problem. It could, have, it could have so easily driven a wedge. You know, that dividing wall of Italy that the Lord was trying to work through and break down, it could have driven a wedge between two groups of God's people. And they might have become so agitated and be divided, and the little problem becomes this big problem, and certainly they knew they couldn't ignore it. By the way, doctors, medical doctors, are always talking about early detection. They find a problem when it's small. It's so much easier to solve 
can't solve everything, but, but usually if they can find a problem when it's small enough, they can take care of it. And that's true in the medical world. It can be true in our families. It can be true. Certainly it is true in the church. Little problems usually grow if we don't take care of them. The church chooses seven men. By the time you get to verse 7, it seems that these seven men had a, certainly accepted their responsibility well because you never hear about this problem again in the church. That really says a lot. It says the word of God was being spread. And our passage is, pretty, again, primarily directed to church leaders, so I don't want to take it out of context, but I think there's application. So let us spread, let us accept our responsibility to work towards meeting the needs we see in the church. <clears throat> and what I'm talking about is living beyond ourselves. It means husbands and wives, single men, single women, youth, anyone else, look to Jesus' example. So I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to practice servanthood. I'm going to practice living according to Christ. I'm going to try to live like him. I'm going to try to love like him. So it means we're going to seek to serve as he did. Last slide. Ministry <coughs> is when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels, through the glory of God. I like that. Yes, I wrote it, but I like it anyway. Ministry is when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. An elderly woman was very good at playing Monopoly. In fact, she was known kind of as a ruthless Monopoly player. Her grandson would lose every time she, he played her. Every time, except one time, he beat her. And he was beaming with uh, uh, excitement, and he was celebrating, and you know, just really sort of rubbing it in. And she interrupted his celebration and uh, gave him a lesson that I guess he wouldn't soon forget. Because he's gloating and he's, you know, um, excited that he's made this uh, defeat over his grandmother for this silly game of Monopoly. And he's dragging his monies and he's dragging his properties back into the box. And the grandmother's told him, remember, honey, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. That's true. There's no game that we have here as, as Christian uh, servants, it's no game, but it's real life. But one day, everything's going to go in the, back in the box. First Timothy talks about we're not going to we bring anything into the world, we're not going to take anything out. And we are, in, in essence, but not physically. We're going to take out what we've done in service to our Lord. Remember that. The sacrifice of our Lord necessitates that we, count, we seek out places to serve in the body so that we can help the Lord's work to continue and to be most effective. Tonight, if you need to respond publicly, why don't you come as we stand and sing.